Welcome to Into the Well. I'm your host, Ryan Wilms. I started this show as a place to share my experiences and my journey towards living authentically and mindfully, and also to learn from those who are truly walking the path, healing themselves and inspiring others. By balancing the mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual, we can learn to live in harmony with ourselves and our environment. We'll be exploring different tools and modalities used to create sustainable well-being for a fulfilling life. So thank you for joining me. On this episode of the podcast, I get a chance to sit down and chat with Mike Salemi, who is a world champion in kettlebell sport, trainer, life coach, and all-around pretty inspiring and amazing guy. We speak about his recent experience of doing 36 days of the carnivore diet, working and serving Cambo, his work with kettlebells as a performance athlete, but now more so as a coach and a trainer and program that he recently finished and is about to launch called Kettlebell Lifestyle and much more. He's really grounded, positive, strong energy, and um, there's a lot that I and most people can probably learn from him and his approach to sport and life in general. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks. Mike, thanks uh, so much for taking the time, and uh, I'm glad we were able to connect on on uh, on this chat. Uh, I really sort of found you through through Paul Check, who's sort of our mutual link, and uh, listened to some other podcasts with you, and just felt like your uh, approach to well, really life holistically, but especially sport and athletics and movement was was really cool, and the way you've integrated so many different modalities for, for health and, and performance is really inspiring. So I'm excited to dig in a little bit more with you on that stuff. Um, but maybe you could start by sharing just a little bit, like if I was to ask you, what do you do today? Who are you? How would you answer that? I like how you pose brother. Uh, who am I today? Because it seems to be always changing. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me on. And um, yeah, I mean, who am I today? It's funny because like my title or it really is just morphed based off of like what audience I'm in front of, um, because I would say what I do is is very multifaceted and very holistic in nature. But at the end of the day, I really just associate most with being a performance specialist. Um, And one of the things that I realize is like, if I look at my own journey and my own path, you know, it started very much in the physical realm, sports performance, but then over time and through just personal growth work and personal development, I really realized that uh, there is zero separation between performance at, at the spiritual level, at the mental level, at the emotional level, and at the physical level. So when I say performance specialist, my mindset and my like framework around that it, it extends far beyond just like what is done in the gym. Mm-hmm. Do you find um, that that if you're telling somebody that it f- can feel overwhelming, like do you need to feel like you specialize in the sports to sort of maybe draw people in and then can introduce some of these other ideas? Because I find, you know, as a coach, sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming if I'm like, you know, what we're really trying to do here is dig into self-love and, you know, something <laughs> that more, that more sort of deep and but also holistic. <laughs> yeah. As, as long as that's so true, man. So as long as I've got a little bit of an idea of who I'm talking to, then I can for sure meet them where they're at. Because like, mm-hmm. I, I know too, like even when I was first working with Paul, 
you know, I went to Paul to help rehabilitate, you know, uh, injuries that no one could figure out. And I, and I was going to him because I wanted to get specific resolution for those injuries so I could basically be the best I could be at my sport. Now, I, and I'd studied Paul work for years and, and had been a student of his, so I knew his work was very holistic. But in the same light, our work, like the, the how do I say, like the North Star of our work was always that performance realm. And so no matter what we went into, for the most part, he always had a way at tying it back to the goal or the dream. And so that was something that really resonated with me because if he would have came out of the gate and said, we're going to, you know, I don't even know, reprogram your thought process or something like that, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I would have been interested, but I would not have been wholeheartedly invested, at least in the beginning. And so I really learned from, you know, I think a lot of just just like kids learn from parents, uh, what's unspoken, you know, a lot of what I learned from Paul was was unspoken and just observing how he coaches, how he speaks and and et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so for me, uh, I'll do my best. And it is hard. It is hard when I want to go into so many things with someone. But mm-hmm. uh, if I know who I'm talking to and where they're at and what their goals are, I'll always tie it in there and really try and anchor that as the most important thing. So if someone wants you know, to, to be a more dynamic wrestler, uh, I'm going to really focus on that first and foremost and then make sure all the connections are do my best that it all brings it back to that, that home run that they feel connected to. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So in terms of, I mean, being connected to what you were doing, uh, you shared previously, but you went through a bit of a transition from working in your family business to fully committing to athletics and sport yourself. You know, I'm curious to just uh, share a little bit more about that from your perspective, because it's, you know, very common that people are in a field or in a career that they think they need to be doing and maybe keep getting signs that, there might be something else that their heart and soul is sort of drawing them towards, but making that transition can be super challenging. So I was wondering how that process was for you. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is like, uh, for me, you know, I, I was, I was raised by, uh, by Sicilian parents, both mom and dad are from Sicily, both mom and dad are from the same small town in Sicily. And so I think, you know, the, or not, I think I know through my experience, like, uh, Europeans, especially Italians, are very culturally intact and very culturally uh, connected and strong. And so the structure as a family means a lot. And I had a, I have a great family. I'm super grateful for my family, you know, and, and I feel super blessed. And that also made at, at times being in a family business uh, challenging and and the exit process challenging. But basically, you know, uh, that business was in a completely different industry in, in marble and granite tooling. And my bo- my father built from scratch, from nothing, from my grandfather's garage, uh, where we used to, um, <laughs> I even recall, he used to have uh, cutting blades. So imagine like circular saw blades, basically, that would would cut stone, like countertops and such. And mm-hmm. he would even bake those the, the painting of those blades in our ovens. And when I look back, I'm like, you know how much toxins came off of that paint 20 years ago? That's the same thing my grandparents were like baking bread out of and stuff. But, you know, when I look back, it's an amazing story what he built and what he created. And, you know, in a large in large respect, um, you know, I feel so grateful that I have that that business basically gave me the foundation for going to college and doing a lot of the things that I love doing. 
And as good of a business as it is, and, and as proud of, as a person as I am of, of what my father's accomplished and, and the business that we, we all grew together, him, my mom, and my brother, um, it's just not truly, truly, truly what I felt like I was called here to do. Like I knew as soon as I picked up a barbell, you know, at 14 uh, and really started training in the sport of powerlifting that in some way, shape or form, this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in health. I wanted to be in performance. I wanted to share that. And uh, so to to know, you know, maybe not exactly how the road was going to go, and I still don't know how the road's going to go, but to know very closely what my calling was at, at, let's say, give or take 14 and maybe even before that. Uh, to be doing something that isn't there, especially like one of the things that I've noticed about myself is uh, I'm, I'm very heart centered and so and very connected with my heart. And so mm-hmm. if I feel like what I'm doing isn't in alignment with that, it causes a lot of pain. And so mm-hmm. the transition was 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 very challenging. You know, it didn't happen overnight. It happened over a matter of almost years. But at one point, it was just the 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 discomfort, the pain, the 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 misalignment with the direction and and the the level that I wanted to serve my community in in health and wellness was just so painful that I had to make a decision and I had to exit, and that definitely caused challenges within my family network and my family structure. But and it's taken years to to work through that and to heal that. But you know, right now coming out on the other side of it, like. I, I truly do not have words for how grateful and blessed I feel. And, and my family has understood and they have come around. Um, and so uh, life feels in that respect, pretty sweet, you know, pretty sweet right now, especially mm-hmm. having come through it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, it's a great thing to be able to do that and, and follow your heart. You mentioned being heart centered. Was that always the case or was there a point where you sort of, had grown away from that and had to consciously sort of reconnect to your heart. You know, I, I've been was speaking with with uh, someone very, very, very close to me, um, and she had brought up that uh, even amidst challenges that I've been experiencing lately, you know, she had said, and this very much resonates with me. She goes, "You know, Mike, you're at least in her experience." She goes, uh, "You're very heart centered. You're very good at being in your heart, and you're very good at being in your head." but it seems like you have difficulty at times bridging the two and connecting the two. And Mm -hmm. so I would say from a kid, I've been, yeah, since I can remember very heart centered and and also very good with, you know, uh, thinking and rationale thoughts and, and setting together plans and methodology and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And really I feel like the work right now is, is connecting those two. So yeah, I would say I've, I've been very much in my heart since a kid and, allowed that to kind of be my, my governing, uh, vessel. Um, and mm-hmm. now it feels like the work is really, uh, connecting the two because when I, when I, when I'm faced with a challenge or a difficult situation, it seems to be when those two are not connected or not in flow with one another. Right. Well, I think that makes sense. I mean, it's also happening like as a society, right. When there's stress on our personal or cultural nervous system, it's so much easier to divide those pieces of ourselves and lose that connection and not be integrated in that way. So it takes a lot of work to, to bring those different pieces together in unity, especially when there's, you know, a struggle or a challenge going on, it feels like. Mm, Yeah, I would totally, totally agree with that. That feels real true. 
So then on your um, sort of journey and commitment back to sports and, and performance and wellness, that was, uh, you know, getting into competing with kettlebells. Is that was specifically what brought you to Paul and, and working with him one-on-one to resolve some of those physical issues? Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. Basically what had happened was, is I think before working with Paul started with Paul in, if I recall, uh, plus or minus 2013, and we'd work together one-on-one super, super closely for about two and a half years where each month I'd fly down for one to two days and we'd work. And, but before that, um, I'm trying to think how many years was I involved in kettlebell sport before that? I want to say approximately, approximately six to seven years before that I was involved in kettlebell sport. And, you know, as I started kind of, let's just say climbing the ranks or, or competing at higher Mm -hmm. levels, what I found was, is, you know, I had a, an injury to my left forearm where basically during any challenging effort or any trying effort, my left forearm would swell with blood and I'd lose all basically feeling and have to set the bells down. And, you know, I spent over two years working with tons of different practitioners trying to figure out what in the F was going on. And Mm -hmm. it just got to a point where financially and emotionally, uh, and physically I was just, just broken down. And so what I realized was, you know, if, if based off of my experience and my study and, and I realized that, if anybody was going to have a chance to solve this, it was probably going to have to be someone with the skill set of Paul. And there's very few people in the mm-hmm. world who has that skill set and has worked on the types of cases as he has. And so I sought him out and, um, and he felt that it, it, what's interesting is he was the first person, I'll never forget this, and it's been a lesson for me as a coach. He was the first person that did not promise me that he was going to be able to fix or help me heal the situation. It was very much uh, uh, under promise, over deliver, I'll say, was was the whole Mm -hmm. experience. And so for someone with his skill set, someone who I respected as much as Paul, for someone like him to say that, it was very, very humbling. And it immediately got my interest and my buy-in because I was like, wow, if, if knowing that he's, you know, saw, you know, help people like Danny Way with a basically a broken neck help Mm -hmm. heal that and then win, win a massive competition in weeks or months after, um, and him did not promise me anything that he, that he, you know, didn't feel confident he could deliver on. I was like, well, it's worth a try. And so, uh, I was open and willing to give it a shot for sure. And previous to working with him, had you sort of looked at some of the emotional pieces and like, um, that sort of stuff, or is it through working with him that you sort of started to look at that alongside the physical piece. I'm trying to think, you know, um, the physical was always the primary with who I was working with, but I was working with some amazing practitioners, amazing, well-rounded practitioners. Like there was, um, and, and this, this, this gentleman, Johnny Suarez was actually, he was involved in the whole process of me working with Paul. And he was actually one of the people that really, uh, I spoke to and kind of got like, consulting to really go see Paul. Now he's, he's, um, a check level three, he's functional medicine guy. He's, uh, he's an acupuncturist. Now he's done a lot of inner work himself. And so, you know, I had been working with, with definite people who looked at those areas, but Mm -hmm. even with Paul, uh, I, I would say like, that wasn't the primary focus of our work. It was definitely Mm -hmm. integrated within it but it was still primarily physical training and, and achieving physical goals. So 
he was definitely the person that I that I would say I worked the deepest with. But there was other also other people that kind of touched on it as well. Right. And that, that seems to have become like a pretty big piece of your sort of work. Personally, I'm not sure in terms of with, with your coaching and things like that. But I mean, you've gotten into a variety of different natural medicines and plant medicines and um, seems like meditation and, and, and all of these other pieces too. So I imagine at some point you did pick up like that thread on the, on the emotional body rather than the physical body and really dove into that pretty hard. It seems like. Yeah. Paul, Paul was definitely, I have to give, uh, Paul tremendous credit and, and just respect for really being the catalyst for igniting a lot of that. Um, and I think, you know, I'd always been curious about that stuff, but I never really had the, the, maybe the right guide or the right teacher that, really knew how to met, meet me where I was at and kind of guide me along a process slowly and steadily and not, mm-hmm. let's say, uh, make me feel overwhelmed or yeah, he, from working into different meditation practices to yes, you know, so, some of the, the plant medicine work, for example, like, you know, Paul was instrumental in, in being an inspiration and also a guide in, in different lights when it comes to that stuff that, that definitely has set me on the path that I'm at right now. And it's funny because like, I would still say I'm primarily, you know, I, a lot of what I do is in the physical realm, mm-hmm. but to just be, a, let's say, a strength and conditioning coach, like I do not uh, identify with that tremendously anymore. Like to just, to just, let's say, travel, teach or something like that and teach a certification on a Bulgarian bag. Like if I'm just doing that or just teaching mm-hmm. kettlebells, I do not no longer get nearly the sense of fulfillment as I do supporting on the other levels as well. So right now mm-hmm. in, in the next few years, I definitely envision myself continually continuing to grow more of this kind of all encompassing performance approach. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And how much do you find like, as you integrate more of that, it affects the physical performance side for yourself? Oh, the di- for directly, directly correlated, directly mm-hmm. correlated. And I, and I think too, it's like, the the more that I focus my awareness and my intention on my own health, my own healing, and in the levels that I feel confident and competent in supporting others, um, you start becoming aware at really how important that stuff is. You know, it's like it, it's uh, it's all. I mean, and I would and I would you know make the argument that I've had this conversation with with different coaches and and it's it it was hard for me to admit this early on and but to be honest like you know lifting 600 pounds for an example or lifting you know 300 pound stones to be honest is 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 like is basically like a feather compared to a lot of the emotional stuff it's truly the Mm -hmm. emotional and the mental those faculties that can really paralyze someone and mm-hmm. I really do believe developing strength and, and develop and exploring and, and the willingness to be vulnerable and the willingness to, to stand on your own two feet in those areas. That is, for me, that is a strength that trumps any weight being lifted, any, any physical weight in the gym. And so um, the more that I've kind of gone into this area and, and still obviously very much learning and it's a lifelong process, I'm mm-hmm. really realizing that uh, that's where a lot of the work is to be done. Not that they don't support each other, but 
mm-hmm. there there's a lot of uh it's it's infinite there infinite yeah yeah has there has there been any specific experiences or medicines that really have sort of proven to be monumental points of of learning or or opened you up to just sort of that realm more deeply because i think something about you know it's very easy to relate to the idea of like, okay, I lift more weight, then I get stronger, then I can lift more <laughs> weight, then I get stronger. But the the inner journey is a much less linear one in terms of, uh, you know, working through the pain and shame and developing self-love and um, working with some of these medicines too. I'm curious if there's like any specific tools or or even medicine journeys that where you're like, whoa, there's a whole nother you know, universe within that I need to look at. <laughs> yeah, man, there, it's, that's such a good question. That super excites me because like, I don't know if I, there's been so many incredible life-changing, challenging, and I say challenging mm-hmm. with like a capital C <laughs> experiences <laughs> around different medicines. So, I mean, I'll definitely share which one I feel most connected to, but I will say, um, Every single medicine I've gotten something just at at some time or another something profound out of and and many of the experiences were not beautiful. It was basically through the integration process afterwards that you kind of find purpose in the pain, let's say but mm-hmm. um you know i I think uh for me, like one of the medicines that I feel so connected to. And it's not a medicine, obviously, in the in the Western sense, but it's it's the one that I serve now. I serve three types of, of plant medicines, or one's really not from a plant. But the first one is called Combo, and that actually comes from a frog, a, a giant tree frog in the Amazon and in South America. And this is uh, when I started working with this. I knew from the very first time that I that I basically had it as, let's say, a client that there was some strong connection there. And basically, this was. Um, this particular uh, medicine, it, it comes from the secretion of this particular frog. And it was, it was explained to me by, by a friend who, who also serves another, uh, he serves another plant medicine. And he goes, you know, Mike, I really think uh, combo, K-A-M-B-O, is something that you would be interested in. It was actually a hunter's medicine or sometimes like a warrior's medicine. And mm-hmm. tribes would use this before they would go on a hunt, before they'd be exposed to extreme conditions and they may not be eating. The, the weather might be crazy. Um, it's, it's something that is very, very powerful to help support balancing the immune system. It increases one's vitality. It removes a lot of toxins from the body. It can cleanse. It's a very powerful cleanse. And so as soon as he said, you know, hunter's medicine, though, and warrior's medicine, it piqued my interest right away. And so mm-hmm. I said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always down to try something, especially if it's been vetted or recommended by someone I trust. And so I had my experience and, and the interesting thing is combo is not psychoactive. It's not toxic to the body and it's not illegal. So, you know, I had my experience, which is, is short, you know, a typical, a typical treatment is between 20 and 40 minutes for the most part. And it's administered through, uh, through the skin. So you traditionally, you typically will burn the superficial layer of skin and then you apply the, the secretion, which is typically comes in the form of a powder or on a stick. And you apply it directly into the lymphatic system after you burn uh, the superficial layer. And it's, it's a very, very, very intense medicine, a strong medicine. And it, it involves a lot of purging in, in many different ways. 
And, but man, the next day, I always say this, the next day after that first ceremony, I felt like I could run through a brick wall. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. And, you know, over the years, almost, you know, three to four years now uh, of working with it, it just kept coming up in dreams and in other medicine ceremonies that this was something that I felt called to to share. And so now for, I think, almost a year now, I went through some very intense training uh, about a year ago. And um, it's been something that I've been sharing with friends, with family at, at certain retreats. I've been sharing it with athletes and so that has been one very, very powerful medicine that I've been sharing and serving. And, and then the other two, uh, one is called Hape and one is called Sananga. And Hape is basically a tobacco snuff. And then mm-hmm. Sananga comes from basically um, uh, a flower or, the, or, or a root of a bush where the active ingredient is ibogaine. And that is administered through the, uh, by, via eye drops into the eyes. Those are much shorter experiences. Um, but, uh, combo is the one that I've really felt that strong, strong calling for. Right. And from my sort of limited experience with these, they can, they've also sort of can be sort of integrated into almost one experience at times. Is that right? Uh, like or, or a single ceremony maybe. Oh, sure. Sure. Yes. Yeah, certainly. And I think, you know, what's interesting is, is, uh, each one of those can be their own, you know, ceremony mm-hmm. for sure, but you're exactly right. Like, there's also something called like uh, some of the tribes would call it like the the warrior's initiation. And basically it's, it's yes, using all those three or some form of the three, like certain tribes, like the Matsis tribe, their form of Sananga is something called Bachete, which is similar, but a little bit different. Um, they might use all three in, in, in like a close uh, time duration from one another. During the combo though, what's interesting is uh, sometimes hape is used not just in combo, but in my experience, other medicines as well, like in psilocybin mushroom ceremonies, when someone mm-hmm. feels very stuck and they're hitting like a, a, mm-hmm. a blockage, uh, it can be used to help kind of like bust people through that, that sticking point. And so sometimes, sometimes when so- if, if someone is very stuck during a combo ceremony, uh, a good dose of strong hape can be used to help support them and, and help helping them release, but definitely like all three can and, and are used sometimes, uh, in and around combo. Yeah, that's really cool. I think the, the hop I have only actually experienced once in, in my life, I've had very limited experience with tobacco, but through the work I've been doing, I have sort of had been called to it more recently and started to, to work with tobacco and mapacho. And it's such a incredible plant that, you know, through these different forms can be so, so healing and opening and, and connective in that way. So I, th- I think it's really interesting how it can be used, you know, in, in terms of those, those blockages and stuff. But I'm curious to, to learn a little bit more from about Cambo from your experience. I've only done a couple of, of ceremonies myself. And it's, you know, like you said, a very visceral, physical experience, not psychoactive. But while it can, like, have the sort of physical purges, there's also huge potential for emotional uh, and energetic clarity um, that can result in like, you know, deep understandings. Uh, It seems like that's done more through sort of regular work and building that relationship with the frog and the medicine. And I'm curious to know what your process has been on the sort of emotional side, using this more physical experience medicine. Yeah, it's, that's, that's really cool. I'd love to share a little bit about that. So like, some of 
I think with all, at least in my experience, with all this work, you know, intention is such a big piece, such a big piece of it. And what's done in preparation before, you know, how you, how you approach it during. And, and a lot of that for me is connected to breath and posture. Uh, and then what you do after for integration. And so I always say like the ceremony starts, whether it's for me or whether it's for someone that I'm working with, it starts at the moment that the decision was made to engage in that ceremony. Mm -hmm. So let's say someone wants to, you know, sends me an email, Mike, I want to do a ceremony with you in a month from now. That's exactly, or when they themselves decide that they're going to do it even before they contact me. The ceremony starts, mm-hmm. and what you'll find is as the weeks come on or as the days approach, a lot of a lot of things surface. And mm-hmm. usually it's always it always is uh not I don't want to say funny, but it, it's always interesting, at least that like oftentimes, um, you know, I, I've got very, very dear friends that serve uh mushroom ceremonies or uh, a dear friend that's an ayahuasca shaman, and usually in the days before, you know, people cancel. And it's always like there's always mm-hmm. a story that comes up and there's, it's going to surface a lot of things or has the potential to surface a lot of things. But what I will say is what I found is the intention around it can truly, 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 I don't want to say make or break an experience, but really take it to a whole nother level. And so mm-hmm. for me, whether it's journaling or through meditation, a lot of times I use Hoppe specifically in meditation. Um, basically, I basically always use it in meditation. I don't really know other times that I don't really use it in meditation, but uh, a lot of times for me in the weeks before, um, you know, I may do hoppe right now, like once a week, I've been off it for like 40 days. I took a break from it, but the other day was just my first time in 40 days. And, you know, I used it, um, as its own ceremony and, uh, it was basically through a meditation and, you know, through that process, I'll oftentimes ask the question of whether it's something that I'm struggling with or to, to show me an answer that I'm looking for. And then, um, I'll really just focus my heart and my energy on that. And what I found is, is through that, as well as through, uh, sometimes not all the time, but, uh, oftentimes I'll do some type of coaching session with someone before. Um, and sometimes people will do a coaching session with me as well for, let's say an hour or 30 minutes, and it'll really be exploring, you know, what's the root cause or trying to get to the root cause of really what's going on in their life and what's mm-hmm. going on in my life. And what I found is, is, you know, that's been pivotal in terms of how, what I feel I've, I've gotten out of the, the combo ceremonies in, in exchange and in return, because it's mm-hmm. almost like, it's almost like, I don't know, I just have this vision of like, it's like taking, um, I don't even know, like a bunch of stuff that has been stuffed in a drawer. Like we all have like a junk drawer in our house, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like taking all that junk, all those little, you know, paper clips and coins and scissors and papers and, and putting it right on the top of a counter. And it basically, you know, through the, the prep, preparation work, and sometimes it could be, again, journaling uh, session, it can be art, but putting it all on the table. And then being very clear, as clear as possible with what you want to get out of the experience and the intention for it. And what I found is when you go into a ceremony with that stuff on the table, the combo specifically just has such an easier job just knocking that stuff off. It's Mm -hmm. like everything's there. And I've had some incredible, incredible emotional releases and emotional uh, and even just spiritual openings, if you want to say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, simply what, what I feel was like, uh, the, what was done before 
And, you know, in addition to that, there is, you know, through uh, the administer the administration of combo, you know, different areas of the bodies can can excite or can activate or potentiate different experiences. And so whether you're doing a classic treatment, which is typically traditionally applied on the left shoulder for men on, on the inside of the right lower leg for for ladies, or you're doing more of like a chakra treatment or meridian treatment, um, you know, you can treat the entire body through auricular therapy um, and meridian points and points in the ears. And oftentimes the ears tends to be a treatment in the ears tends to be much more emotional. You may not even have, let's say, a, a, a vomiting purge. It may not happen. It may or may not. But different areas of the body can um, support different types of cleansing. And so uh, that can also have a role as well. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting piece of and potential for that medicine too. Because, you know, I think with when people maybe go and look into this uh, this work, you know, finding a practitioner that understands that that depth inside of it too, I think is really important and being able to, to help you sort of cultivate that intention and understand, you know, it could be something like anger and where in the body that might feel and be stored and be able to tailor that, uh, where the, those points are placed to, to help with that process too. Like that brings so, such a richness to the potential of this medicine, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so an- another thing that you recently shared, uh, diving into, um, nutritional side of it, but you recently just did a quite a long stint of the carnivore diet. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I did. Yep. Uh, I'm pretty curious to know, um, about that. I mean, for myself and probably most people, you know, nutrition along with the sort of physical exercise are sort of the two more, uh, relatable, attainable, easier areas to get into. Um, but there's obviously so much depth, um, tied to them, but, uh, trying different diets and things like this. What was the thing that inspired you to, to do the carnivore diet for, you did it for, was it over a month, right? Yeah. I think it came out to like, give or take like 36 ish days is what I, how long I did it for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that's been a really, really interesting journey. I've, I've learned a lot in that relatively short amount of time. And I would say like there was multiple inspirations for that. I think, you know, since I stopped really competing and been focusing more on just primarily focusing on being a teacher, like last three and a half years, three, three and a half years, like as much as I take care of myself and, and, you know, try to sleep and eat well. And I would say in, in, in large part, I do compared to most people for sure. And I've built mm-hmm. kind of this thing since I was 14, I've been really into health and wellness at, at a deeper level. Uh, I would still say that my priority has been more like my students and teaching and outputting. And, you know, with that, you know, even though I would still consider myself very healthy and vital, I just wouldn't, you know, if, 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 if I had work to do or, or emails to get back to, like, you know, training would, would take a backseat or sometimes I'd work, oftentimes I'd work much later than I, than I knew I should, if I'm mm-hmm. being, you know, fully honest. And I just, I really was looking for an opportunity and something to motivate me to really just put myself like truly, truly, truly put myself first again, something that would excite me, something that would challenge me. And I didn't know what that was going to be. And then during COVID, you know, most of my schedule was pre-COVID was traveling two weeks a month teaching. 
and sometimes mm. international from Kuwait to the UK to Italy to all over the US. And, you know, that takes a toll between because mm-hmm. a lot of how I teach is very, very hands on. It is very learned by doing. And I'm definitely the type of teacher that wants to uh, show and demonstrate and do it with the students. And and so it's exhausting. And when I would come mm-hmm. back from these long trips, it'd take me days to recover. And then I'd want to see family and catch up on work. And then I'd have to also prepare for the next trip. And so I just Mm -hmm. never really felt like I got a full rest break. And so basically during COVID, when I was forced to just be home, I definitely worked a tremendous amount and have have had to pivot my kind of my my future plans. But I was like, wow, you know, I have a gym in my house and and I've really set my home up to be a place where that I that I truly love. And I never really got time to enjoy it before. So mm-hmm. one of my clients is the owner of uh, Belcampo Meat Company, which is a, a fantastic, fantastic uh, regenerative farming company where they they basically have some of the highest grass-fed, grass-finished meats and pastured chickens and all sorts of stuff. And so I was training her one day and she had brought up casually that she was thinking about going on the carnivore diet. And she goes, I think I want to do it for two weeks. I kind of just want a little jump start. I got good experience with it in the past. And immediately, without even like almost letting her finish her her sentence, I was like, "I want to do it. I'll do it with you. If you do it, I'll do it." And and soon after that, I, I did a little poll on my Instagram, and I I don't recall if it was my email too, but it was definitely my Instagram. And I asked, you know, how many people would be interested in in following my journey? And this is what I'm thinking, what I'm cooking, what I'm going to do, and the support. You know, I, I truly do believe, like my. Um, I don't even know, like my followers, my supporters, man, like, mm-hmm. and I, they are some of the best people in the freaking world. Like very, 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 uh, heart centered, very, at least in my experience, many of them are in alignment with a lot of Paul's teachings, a lot of holistic health. And mm-hmm. so they were interested in the whole gamut, not just, you know, uh, eating steaks. They wanted to know about organ meats and what training was going to be like. And so I use that as the motivation to kind of uh, uh, to serve a little bit at the highest level I could. And so I'm a geek, I'm a nerd. And mm-hmm. I and I was like, man, I want to geek out on this and I really want to learn as well. So mm-hmm. I ended up getting a blood test pre and post, did before pictures uh, every week and uh, was monitoring a bunch of stuff. And so it's been a, it's been a massive motivation for me and, uh, man, I, I've learned a, a tremendous amount from, in, in many, many, many different respects. Yeah, that's very cool. I'm curious to know, just, you know, purely on the sort of physical side of it, like, what was that, what was that journey like? On the physical side, it was, you know, I would say two of the, let's see, like two or three of the biggest aha realizations or three or four that I had was. Uh, I, I knew that I was going to lean out. Like I would say that wasn't a, a huge surprise. I mean, you're pretty much having mm-hmm. damn near zero carbohydrates. Uh, and I did mm-hmm. it very strictly. So I wasn't doing obviously like not even uh, tobacco snuff. I was doing no coffee. I was doing no coconut oil, nothing. It was basically water, butter, flesh proteins, and bone broth. That was And, and salt and pepper. And that was it. No spices wow. other than those two. So I, I tried to do it as strictly as possible. And I knew that I was going to lean out. So while maybe how much I leaned out was maybe kind of a surprise, but um, I would say one of the biggest things was, and, and I always say this and share this with people, like I, I I felt good before carnivore. Like I f- did feel really good. But 
What I will say is my joints, there was a noticeable change in how my joints fell, felt like I, I love warming up. I love the, I love rituals in life from how to, you know, making coffee for me is sometimes making a, a 30 second espresso shot sometimes takes 30 minutes because I love every step of the process. And I always have from cooking to training to everything. And what I will notice is, you know, a lot of the training that I do is, is very dynamic in nature, you know, explosive mm-hmm. kettlebell stuff, explosive Bulgarian bag training, uh, band training, all that stuff. And that takes, you know, a fair bit of, of preparation work. Um, and what I noticed is, is, you know, I could almost hop out of bed with zero warm up and literally mm-hmm. feel ready enough range of motion wise, like joint, like, let's just say lubrication wise joint freedom. Like I could Mm -hmm. do, let's just say, let's just as an example, let's imagine getting up and spin. I didn't do this, but imagine like spinning your arm, like quickly as fast as you can, like a windmill. Now I wouldn't do that, but, uh, (laughs) what I would say, like, it's just, it was just incredible at how free my joints felt and it was noticeable. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Um, so there was that also my skin, like I can't even tell you how many times I got compliments on people saying, dude, you are just glowing. Like your skin is just vibrant and glowing. And I would attribute that to the amount of, I was drinking over a quart of bone broth a day. So the amount of just collagen and and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, that's in the bone broth. So those were, those were just some of the physical stuff that I experienced in a positive light. Yeah. And like gut wise energy uh digestion wise there you didn't have any issues or struggles with it on that front the the basically i would say out of the whole diet the the two or three struggles that i had was uh number one i felt like it was a little too restrictive for me you know for a long-term mm-hmm. diet um mm-hmm. and i and i wouldn't say like i mean all i really wanted dude like all i really wanted was to add some olive oil or like add some coke right. like i wasn't looking honestly like and, and, and for sure, I, I miss certain foods. Like I love, you know, treating myself to an acai bowl and I love some chocolate, but yeah. it was more like I was just, uh, had challenges. Like I just wanted to squeeze some lemon on some salmon, you know, as right. opposed to cooking it in butter and salt all the time. Yeah. But, you know, outside of that, um, uh, it's funny. Cause like, even now that I've reintroduced, like I've been allowing myself to treat, you know, over this last week and I have a continuous glucose monitor on, so I'm getting to check you know, what certain foods are doing to my body, you know, but, uh, I actually do miss, um, car- like, and I'm actually going back to more of a carnivore diet because I felt so good. The one, mm-hmm. the, the, one of the bigger drawbacks was the constipation. And I know that there's different things that you can do about that. And I actually, the one thing that I did choose to supplement with two weeks in because the constipation was, was bothering me a little bit. Like, it came in waves. In the beginning, it was the first five days was diarrhea. Then it changed and it got actually pretty good for a few days, maybe a week or so. And mm-hmm. then, you know, uh, life just got challenging. You know, uh, there's just a lot of stuff going on in life. And so what I've always found in, it personally in my life is when, when stress levels go up, mental and emotional, et cetera, um, my digestion starts shutting down. You know, the more sympathetic mm-hmm. I am, my digestion starts down regulating and my strat, one of the things that I would do to help support challenging times was, is I would not consume as much meat or I would consume lighter mm-hmm. proteins because they're just harder to digest. And during this mm-hmm. time when all I could really eat was, you know, flesh proteins, 
I felt just backed mm-hmm. up. And so I did end up supplementing mm-hmm. actually with some magnesium, which did help, but it still didn't, my digestion still didn't, I was not excreting nearly as much as I would have liked or would have uh, assumed I should be. And so that was the only thing. It wasn't right. bad. And even though I wasn't eliminating as much as I, I would say would be ideal, uh, I was shocked that I still had zero bloating and zero gas. And in the reintroduction of still right. even harmless foods, I've been just really shocked at just how much you know gas I've had. And I'm like, damn, this is crazy. Um, mm-hmm. But even being constantly like I had zero bloating or zero gas the whole time. Yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, because I mean... I don't know about like sort of your circle and your followers. And if there was people that were sort of like, why would you do that? Like meat's bad, but obviously there's a pretty big, like global uh, anti sort of meat community out there at the moment. And uh, you know, a lot of more press around movies like game changers and stuff like that. But um, you know, just everybody that I know that sort of really embraces high quality, good, flesh foods like this and even like in a more extreme way like a carnivore diet just generally sees a lot of positive results and feeling physically from that as well yeah i i, I would totally agree and and what one of the, you know even just one of the reasons and i and i definitely did get some hate for it um I'm, I'm a pretty like i would i would consider myself to be a pretty respectful person and and, a, and in general just a loving person and compassionate um and, and, and even non-controversial in many, many respects, because mm-hmm. I just try to respect everyone's opinion and whatever feels right for them. I, I really don't really care. You know, like it's like, if it feels like the right choice for you and it's working for you truly, then shit, I'm, I'm totally cool with it. And what I found was, is it, my, what I was doing was challenging a good handful of people and I lost followers and I even got some angry emails and, uh, and mm-hmm. that was challenging to many parts of me, the, especially the parts of me that that want to be liked by people, for example. And mm-hmm. uh, but what I found was, is, you know, part of my reason for doing whatever I do in life is to do my very best to live honestly, authentically and, and to, you know, to serve as, you know, if anything, inspiration and as an example for what's possible. And one of the things that we know is, is diet can be as, as many different things can be very dogmatic. And so mm-hmm. even though it was very clear, very clear that I was only doing this for approximately 30 days and it was an exploration and an experiment. And in fact, during this process, I was building a garden. <laughs> like I have 40 yeah. plants growing outside and on my windowsill and like, and I, <laughs> and so it, I have, you know, um, I'm look, I was looking forward to getting back to eating vegetables and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. still it challenged a lot and it, and people unfollowed and, and that, that I feel is a reflection of, of where they're maybe stuck in their life. But, you know, uh, what I will say is, is, you know, if it's working for you, great. And, and in fact, you know, I, I worked in a raw vegan kitchen. I don't know if many people know that I don't share that story very much, but you know, when I was, I don't know, maybe like eight so years ago, I wasn't a vegan by any means, but I've, I've done vegetarian diets for weeks at a time as mm-hmm. different cleanses and to give my body and system a break or for different spiritual practices and preparations. And the reason why I, I did a, an internship at, in, a, in a raw vegan kitchen was the same, almost the same reason that I wanted to do this carnivore thing is at the right. end of the day, I want to be curious. And as soon as I find or, or am aware enough to find that I'm feeling stuck in my own thoughts and mindset and not willing to be curious enough to try something different, it's like, mm-hmm. wow, okay, now now it's almost a responsibility for me to do that. I, I take it on in that way. And 
I learned a lot working in that kitchen. I learned how to sprout mm-hmm. different foods. I learned how, how you know, uh, just how to increase foods bioavailability. I learned how to prepare raw foods. I learned how to make some delicious foods. And, um, and I was like, you know, it, it didn't work for me long-term, nor did I want it. But man, I, I learned a lot of stuff that improved my life and the quality of my clients. And just like mm-hmm. carnivore, I mean, the addition of, of eating organ meats, the addition of, of regular bone broth, uh, mm-hmm. those two things in and of themselves. And the, I was always, you know, for years I've been eating very high quality foods, but, you know, truly eating, you know, nothing but pastured meats, uh, for me, what was, was, uh, and, and especially the organ and stuff like that, those were some, some to actually see, and, and I'll be, I'll be getting my blood work, my, the second round of my blood work literally any day now. And I'm going to share that transparently because I literally have no mm-hmm. attachment to, all I know is how I felt and exactly what I shared with you, but the blood work yeah. will also show, you know, I'm sure blind spots of things that, that maybe it, it didn't support. And, and I want to share that with people too. share the good, the bad, the ugly, and, and, and also mm-hmm. the beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. I mean, that's such a good approach. Having that sort of curiosity and an awareness to not become dogmatic and not become attached combined with you know, being in touch with your body and yourself and your heart enough to recognize, you know, cause I think like people can be like, Oh, well this diet's working for me. This diet's working for me. But you know, if we stay on that diet too long, it's going to not be working for us. But if we're so attached to it working for us six months ago, it's hard to change and, you know, maybe, add a lot more meat or go to broth or change to juice. And, you know, everything's changing all the time, obviously our stress levels and inputs, but also the temperature and season and all of those things, I feel like affect us as people so much. And it's, you know, that openness and, and sensitivity to ourselves as this sort of compasses to navigate those choices, you know, it's, it's hard to, to fine tune those you know, internal instruments in some ways, but it's so important, I think, to, to, to find that sort of optimal health that we can day to day. Yeah. You, you know, what's funny is what, you know, hearing you say that it, it brought up a, a memory and a recollection of, of early on in carnivore that, that really was a big learning moment for me where I had to really catch myself. And what was interesting was, is I truly experienced how easy it was, even for me, who tries to be as open-minded as possible about sort of th- these sort of things, how easy and quickly like our mind can put us into a state of, of vilifying certain things and wanting mm. to choose a dogmatic approach. And so one of the examples that, or one of the situations that I had was, is I was eating um, a, a Sunday lunch at my folks' house and uh, you know, my family loves to cook and I'd, I think it was my dad was making like a meatloaf, uh, his version of a, of a Sicilian meatloaf, which really is not a meatloaf. It's basically like a gigantic meatball with sauce and stuff with cheese and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So let's just say uh, my dad's version of meatloaf. And he made me, uh, he goes, you know, Mikey, in, in the oven, I made you like a, a, like a small leg of lamb. You know, I know you can't eat, you know, what we're eating right now. It's got tomato sauce, et cetera. Um, you know, go in the oven and, and grab your food. And I go, okay, no problem. So I go in the oven and I, I pull out the lamb and um, I don't recall if there was carrots underneath the lamb or there was like a dish of carrots right next to it. 
But I remember still at that point, it was in the early days, probably within the first week, so much of my habits and my rituals were around vegetables as well. And so, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I would go to the fridge and reach for a vegetable and have to catch myself because mm-hmm. it was just such a habit. And so what had happened was, is I remember grabbing like a spoonful of carrots and grabbing it and, and about to be putting it onto my plate after I, I put the lamb on there. And immediately, immediately I caught myself because I had forgotten that I wasn't supposed to eat carrots. And I was like, there was this uh, a visceral response and a mental response that said, oh, you can't eat that. Carrots are bad. And as soon as I said that, I caught myself and I was like, holy shit. Did I legitimately <laughs> say that carrots are bad? And it was like, it was so fascinating to me that I could, like, it was the, the instinct to vilify a food, even, mm-hmm. you know, even that I knew is, you know, it was basically harmless that I had been eating for years. And it was just such a humbling moment. I was like, damn. This is how these things can start developing. And especially if you add community to that and wanting to fit mm-hmm. in. Like I, I basically said, this is bad because, you know, uh, to do any type of something that strict, one of the things, that, at least what, what I've found and whether it's this or an athletic pursuit, mindset is such a big part of it. And so basically one of the reasons mm-hmm. why I was able to be so disciplined with it is because I didn't give myself another option in my mind. I said, there is mm-hmm. no way I'm going to have anything besides what's on this plan and I'm going to stick mm-hmm. to it. And so when the carrots came up, that was my response. But the way I got to that response was, that's bad. I can't eat that. And I was like, damn, you need to take a step back and check yourself, man. And, and, and so that was a, a really interesting realization moment for me of how these, these dogmas can, can, can manifest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's such a like subtle thing that it can happen you know, it can swell up so easily. Like you just pointed out, if you're not able to catch that and, you know, I feel like that's why I would probably, you know, share that like meditation and mindfulness practice is absolutely like foundational and fundamental to a healthy lifestyle, because without that level of awareness, you're not going to catch those types of things and they're happening all the time. Um, so I'm curious to know a little bit about sort of that, that sort of piece of your, your work in terms of developing that, that awareness, because you've obviously, you know, spent a lot of time and energy developing that, which contributes to the discipline, but like sort of a, that conscious discipline rather than sort of a more of a military sort of discipline, I guess. Um, and sort of what that sort of, what sort of richness that's brought to your, to your life and, and your practices. Yeah, I think, you know, what's interesting is like, there's been certain tools that I feel like I've, that have been absolutely pivotal uh, to supporting that for me. And, you know, I would say the first, uh, the first significant tool that I can remember was learning working in practices or active meditation from Paul. And because I would consider myself a mover, like I associate so much of how I process and my enjoyment in life through movement. Uh, learning that meditation can be accessed through movement practices uh, mm-hmm. was my first thing. Like, holy smokes! And so, so much of my, I would say, my spiritual like growth uh, has come through moving meditations. And so, that was an interesting. That was something really huge. And then, you know, two other tools I would say that have really been incredibly helpful has been floating. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, I work very closely with the float place and I'm super blessed that they sponsor me. And so, I mean, I've done 30 days of consecutive floats and, wow. you know, and I'll float. Well, right now it's a little challenging with everything going on, but, you know, I was floating between one to five times a week. And that was my place for, you know, exploration. That was my place for concentration, visualization, uh, emotional healing, integration after plant medicine ceremonies. Mm -hmm. And then the third tool I would say would be is like the hape, uh, the meditations I said in there. And, you know, Mm -hmm. through those three tools, uh, for me, you know, uh, one of the things that at least I do my very best to share with a lot of the people that I work with who are more involved in athletics or strength or personal training is that for me at least, you know, meditation does not have to look like someone sitting on a on a Zafu cushion or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, meditation can be, you know, I, I was I was fortunate enough to to stay with monks in upstate New York when I would work with a specific client of mine. And you hear you hear this in books or you maybe you 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 hear this in different areas, but like, you know, everything can be a meditation practice. And spending mm-hmm. time, you know, with these monks from, you know, raking leaves to, I remember one guy who I became really close with to changing a light bulb to cutting carrots or tomatoes, you know, those are all meditative practices. And so, um, you know, anything with full presence, especially if you integrate the breath with it and the mindfulness component is, can be for me meditation. And so some of those tools have been huge, but from just feeling more grounded to, uh, exploring different aspects of myself to releasing stuck points. I mean, it's been a huge, huge, huge thing that has impacted positively damn near everything that I do in life. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And I think, you know, like you said earlier with the medicines, it's, it's has so much to do with intention because I think a lot of people are like, Oh, you know, running is my meditation or, you know, it has that sort of people can confuse falling into somewhat of a flow state with that being a meditation. But if you're going into like an active movement meditation with the intention that you're developing that, then I think that's where it really has that potential. Um, I'm curious to know more about sort of that much floating. Like I've, I've done it a good amount of times myself, but you know, I would love to float as frequently as that. And sadly, you know, with everything being shut down, it hasn't been possible at all the last few months. But, um, you know, that's a pretty potent meditative state to get into because it is really, it's like integrating a lot of physical with that sort of deep introspective opportunity. Yeah. You know, floating the the place I go to, if anyone who's listening is ever in the Bay Area, California, I would highly, highly recommend uh, balance float in Redwood city. And, you know, the owners of it, uh, the own one is from Australia. One is from France, a husband and wife, and, and they've done a tremendous amount of inner work and have really become two of my best friends and greatest teachers. And so I feel I've always felt so supported by them in the center. And so, you know, they, they, you know, I've done a lot of different types of floats in the sense of like overnight floats as well. I've done those, uh, which can be very challenging. It's like you're you're in solitary confinement, and it's more yeah. uh, it, for me. It, it can be very challenging, but it's also a really cool uh, exercise. How f- long do you do that for? Uh, I've done it a few times. Um, so you know, at least six hours. You know, between wow. five, six, seven hours in the tank. Um, you know, sometimes I'll do floats you know, completely silent. Sometimes I'll play ceremony music. Sometimes I'll play binaural beats. 
Sometimes if I've done a hypnotherapy session, I'll play the hypnotherapy recording in the float tank. Um, so it's so multifaceted um, mm-hmm. and it is an incredible tool. And because so much of uh, it's interesting and, and you floated quite a bit, but you know, what I've found is especially through the consistent process of floating, you know, let's just say physically speaking, the, the closest thing I've ever felt to how my joints felt during the carnivore diet, diet as I explained earlier, was mm-hmm. during the, those 30 days of consistent floating. I was shocked at how good my joints felt. And, you know, there's many potential reasons for that. I think just the healing that you can get from the float tank. But also one of the things that I would, what I would probably say in my experience is due to the amount of like um, just tone running through the body that is downregulated when you're floating just because the stress response and the breathing and all that stuff, I just mm-hmm. felt like there was so much less tone and so much less just general tension in my body and less potential for, for, for holding on to things both physically. Mm-hmm. And then we can carry that to other aspects too, that, mm-hmm. you know, and even too, like, you know, from, from being stressed out emotionally, like we, we hold tension, stress in our tissues. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's also why I think floating can be an incredible, you know, mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual practice. But, you know, the 30 days of floating, I kind of just felt like, every float almost built on the next. And a lot of times when I've experienced people first, because I I take so many people, one of the things I Mm. love doing is introducing people to floating. And so the number Mm. one gift I give friends, family, uh, anyone who's in town, I always take them to balance float. And, you know, each float, as as you well know, like gets easier and easier and easier to kind of drop in and and kind of turn off the mind a little bit, unless unless you're Mm. using it because you want to, you know, creatively think or explore a problem, you can do that too, but, uh, or how to solve a problem. But, Mm -hmm. you know, each time I found I was able to kind of like just hop in the tank and just 90 minutes or whatever it was, just drop right into it really quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I've had that experience as well that, and I remember being told, I think the first time I went that it is sort of an exponential experience in that, in that way, as it does continue to build on one another like first probably getting just comfortable in that sort of foreign environment. But then from there, just, yeah, being able to drop in more deeply and, and go deeper inwards as well. Um, before when actually when you're chatting about the, the carnivore diet and, you know, there's a piece of you that, you know, wants people to like you and, um, you know, there's a, there's a process in, in all of this that I sort of, I mean, I guess it's pretty clearly just getting more in touch with our more true self in a sense. And, you know, I'm curious to know a little bit more about that process for you, because obviously leaving your family business and and following your heart was a huge step along that path. But, you know, in my own experience, that unraveling and deconditioning of all of this sort of subconscious beliefs is such a lifelong process. I'm curious to know what have been some of the biggest sort of breakthroughs or aha um, realizations for yourself along that path of just becoming more of yourself. That's always been there, I guess, really. So it's really that sort of shedding of the, the conditional subconscious beliefs on top of it. Oh man, I love that. Yeah. It, for me, it's been, it's been a, a mix of just shedding and remembering, shedding and remembering. And like, 
through everything that we've talked about, I mean, I think one thing that, uh, uh, for whatever the reason, part of my nature has always been someone to seek out challenges. Like as a man, like I just, um, I, there's parts of me that need to feel, uh, uh, challenged. I think through challenges, we, we grow and I've always been so motivated to, to, to be a little bit better every single day. And usually, usually, usually always the things that, that hold me back are myself I found. And I think through, you know, certain things through competition, through, like I was sharing, you know, whether it's through injuries or the family business, or, you know, even, even sharing from the heart right now with you, you know, putting Mm -hmm. yourself out there for me has always been a challenge. You know, there's always been for me, subconscious beliefs or, and conscious beliefs that I'm never enough or never good enough. And, you know, it, it's been a, a hell of a process. And through all the tools that we discuss from floating to everything to plant medicines, it's been an unraveling of that. And, and so, you know, one of the things that I do my best of is, is to, you know, shed some of that stuff when I'm ready um, mm-hmm. to kind of shed some of that stuff that I just really just don't want to be anymore. And, and really, and also remembering that, you know, truly, truly, uh, you know, I know who I am and I know how mm-hmm. I show up. And I know how I serve and who I serve and why, why I'm here. And so when, I re- can, when I'm still enough to remember that and call on that and feel into that, then things get a whole hell of a lot easier. Like, you know, in the carnivore diet, you know, I mentioned that, you know, I, I wanted people to like me. And of course, t- to some extent, I absolutely still do. You know, there's stories mm-hmm. beneath that as well. But one thing that I was really proud of, even though certain times it did trigger me and I was uh, interested at why it triggered me because it still shows there's work to be done there, man, from where I've come from five years ago to one year ago to three years ago, I've been really, really, really proud of myself. And even just to say that statement has Mm -hmm. been an incredible journey just to even say, I'm proud of myself. And, um, it's, it was in fact, one of the main focuses of a recent ceremony to be able to, to echo that words, uh, you know, of being proud. And so it's, it seems to be never ending, but you know, the, the, the curiosity and, and, and the, and the, the, the desire to keep doing the work for myself, for my family, for my friends, for, for my students is, is incredibly strong, incredibly strong. And, um, it's a fire within me that, that still burns very strong. And I know, you know, that will always burn strong provided I give it the nourishment, the attention and the care that it deserves. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is a it is a very much an ongoing journey, and I feel like the more work I do myself, it's just more about tapping into that the the piece of self love and and being open to you know the love from other people. I've I've found that so much of that conditioning, what it's done is sort of caused me to believe that love isn't necessarily safe. And to sort of regulate myself into how much and when I can accept love from myself and other people. And it's, you know, through the heart, it's been just a process of opening that door more and more and more and trying to keep it open as much as possible. Man, I, I, I just want to just share real quick what you just said right there about, you know, love not being safe, like truly like just gave me chills when you said that. Um, I really appreciate that perspective. And uh, thank you for sharing that. I learned a lot right there. No, oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's uh, you know, it's been an interesting journey myself and you know, the deeper I get into it, there's just, you know, it keeps becoming like more 
clear how how deep that that piece of self love is, and how you know it's also it's the the scariest thing to sort of admit sometimes or maybe earlier on just like you know oh maybe i don't love myself and you know what does that mean and what would it then be like to begin to love myself and make choices that support you know love for myself that's it's one way i try and as much as i can consciously use my awareness to measure the choices i'm making is like is this am I making this choice because I love myself or what would I do if I did love myself as opposed to just sort of blindly, you know, eat another bowl of popcorn or <laughs> work out when I know I should be working in for instance. But it's really like the, the heart is like the compass for that. I find more and more. Um, and the mind is, you know, generally can throw that compass out of whack pretty easily if we let it, <laughs> Uh, so I'm curious to to chat a little bit more about kettlebells and um, that piece of the work you've been doing too, because, you know, a lot of people obviously are working out at home. Kettlebells seem to be sold out all over the world. And, you know, it's probably good timing that your course came out, you know, not that long ago, not too long before this all sort of started unfolding. But I imagine it probably has increased the amount of people using kettlebells in a dangerous way for themselves. Um, so I'm curious to know just ter- in terms of, you know, you mentioned as a coach, you like to be hands-on in there, but that's not possible right now. So, you know, maybe talking about some of the benefits of what your program can do for people on their own and how important it is to, you know, build a, a healthy foundational practice with a tool like that so that people are, not hurting themselves, but healthing themselves. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what, what's been interesting is that, uh, so I've done two, two releases so far of the program in the beta version. And so we're about to actually do the official launch, um, you know, right, right now, like as we're recording this episode, we're in mid July. So it's going to come out like towards the end of July. And, um, it's, uh, I'm really excited. Uh, this has been a project that we've been working on myself, my media guy, my developer, um, you know, for almost 10 months now. And it's truly, 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 uh, I say this humbly, but there, there's truly nothing like it. You know, it's, it's incredibly personalized, uh, incredibly customized. It teaches you an intuitive process on how to govern your own training. Um, through, the, through the program, you basically learn, uh, through my experience, multiple different phases of training, which most people don't do in my experience from let's just say foundational and corrective to skill development and base conditioning to high performance training. Not only are you taken through that step by step, but you're developing skills along the entire way. You're also learning like active meditation that we talked about, like working in, Mm -hmm. you're learning how to create your own personalized stretching program. In fact, on also every training day, you basically fill out a questionnaire, very simple but it's looking at things like gut health, digestion, sleep, uh, mm-hmm. mental mental clarity, joint soreness, and your program changes based off of how you're feeling. Because one of the things mm-hmm. that I've always learned, and, and this is what really got me in trouble over the years being injured, is I was always sticking to a program that was too fixed. It was too rigid. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I worked with Paul, who's an incredible in program design, that did I really understand how to modify my own training on a day-to-day basis based off of how I was feeling. So that what was interesting was, is when I won the world championships in kettlebell sport, 
you know, it was around the time that I was working with Paul. And normally it would take me weeks and weeks and weeks to recover from a competition effort. And, you know, after, after really having a, a healthy and sustainable training process and training approach, you know, granted I was tired after the competition for sure and a little sore, mm-hmm. but I was, I could have been back in 72 hours to one week. And I didn't, I chose not, you know, I would still, you know, deload and take time to rest and recover, but it was a testament to the training process. And so mm-hmm. this program is truly for anyone who wants to learn about themselves at a deeper level, who wants to be empowered to take their own training in their own hands, learn kettlebell training at a very, very, very high level and go through that experience and truly do whatever it is they wish and love to do for as long as they want to do it. I mean, I've got, of course, I've got a lot of, you know, trainers and coaches and massage therapists and chiropractors in it. But, you know, uh, we were, I think, briefly talking before the call. You know, I, I had done a, a breathwork uh, training today for uh, a group of uh, culinary students or people, you know, working with a chef. I've also done, uh, you know, training for a bunch of farmers as well. And I've got people from all walks of life in this program. And the one thing that, you know, many people have said is whether it's someone who has a, a, a high level background or someone who's just getting into not just kettlebell training, but just resistance training in general. I designed the program not just with all that levels of customization, but also from I have a level one and a level two option. So let's just say a very beginner option to an intermediate option. And so it's truly even something that my mom could participate in who has zero background in weightlifting or in resistance training, really. Mm -hmm. But as long as you have the motivation to learn, because my education and my stuff, my calling is not to just put people through ass kicker workouts. That's Mm -hmm. just not that if, if someone wants to do that, then they can, you know, all power to them. You know, that's great, you know, but that's just not my style. I want to teach, I want to educate, and I want to empower and inspire. And so uh, this program, which will be coming out in just a few weeks, the official launch of it, is something that I feel is uh, such a reflection of so many of the lessons, both the painful ones and the beautiful ones that I've learned in my experience in over 15 plus years as a coach, as an athlete. And it's truly one of, I feel like, my greatest contributions to date that I could give the health, the wellness and industry and, and truly in the world. And you've got people like Paul Check. You've got people like TEDx speaker Mark England. You've got people like mental emotional expert Chator Pierre. Uh, I, I brought in a group of almost, I think, 10 content contributors to support the students through specific bonus lectures or topics uh, mm. that support every level of health, wellness, and vitality. So it's it's really, really, really probably not probably it is the most comprehensive and personalized kettlebell program out there and maybe most comprehensive training program out there for what it is. So I'm super, super excited uh, that it'll be coming out soon. Yeah, that does sound pretty amazing. And, you know, I grew up playing sports my whole life, but that's pretty much all I did. It was playing sports and going to practice. You know, there was no strength training. There was no resistance training. There was, you know, the only time I ever used any sort of tool like that would be from a super brief rehab from an injury or something like that. Um, but you know, as I've grown, try to learn and learn more, um, you know, it seems like one of the most valuable tools there can be. And especially in a time when we don't know when we'll be able to go back to a gym or something like that. Um, now I also just wonder your perspective on, you know, you mentioned the diversity from a, you know, professional athlete to, you know, 
one of our moms, for instance, being able to take from it. But how about in terms of, you know, using it to train for specific sports, be it something like maybe longer distance running or trail running to, you know, basketball or soccer or something like that. Like how, how much can you tailor the use of a tool like the kettlebell with your program to support those different sports that are kind of requiring different types of, uh, you know, fast or slow twitch muscles and, and, and sort of that richness to it, I guess. Uh, that's a great question. So it, it, for me, it always depends on a few things. One, it depends on the specific goal, which we kind of, the kind of mentioned and which you mentioned, and then also who's the individual we're talking about and where are they at at that point in time. And so mm-hmm. the program is incredibly comprehensive. So between level one, level two, you'll probably learn, I think it's like over 70 different kettlebell movements. Uh, and it's broken up again into phases. And so there's a few ways that I can answer that question. And it, you know, I think, so one of the, you know, talking about even just the portability and the accessibility of a kettlebell, you know, a kettlebell is, it's, is, is an entire gym in one piece of equipment. And one of the things that I wanted to do, and it actually just worked out in my favor, I guess you could say, but it really worked out to the people who take the program, their favor, because, you know, a lot of the kettlebell programs that I had seen out there, you know, require multiple bells, you know, whether, you know, they say, oh, all you need is a kettlebell. But, you know, to get a good training effect, you would need like five bells or you need pairs of bells. And that's great if you have the budget and, you know, and stuff like that or the space and they don't take much space. But I wanted to, going back to challenge myself, Mm -hmm. I wanted to challenge myself. Could I create an effective program that could serve countless goals and countless objectives if all someone had was literally one kettlebell, one Mm -hmm. kettlebell? And so from a program design perspective, that took a, a lot. That took, it took me three and a half months, three to three and a half months of meditation and testing on myself, on friends at gyms, seven major workouts that are also designed in two levels. So if you want to look at it, it's like 14 workouts. And then every workout has five levels of modification based off of someone's stress level. So it took me almost three and a half months to design that. And, you know, but with just one bell, you can get a phenomenal training effect. And because it's only using one bell and I give specific recommendations based off of body weight, gender, fitness level, and skill level, which, what are one, two, or three bells to choose based off of your budget? Um, it is more, I will say of a muscular endurance program, because imagine this, if I only had a 12 kilo kettlebell myself, I could still get a phenomenal conditioning effect with the program. But if Mm -hmm. my goal is to build high, high, high levels of strength, and I wanted to utilize it to help support me in, let's say, a sport of powerlifting, I guarantee you, you would get benefit by going from the program and it would help your lifts, but you're going to need a heavier kettlebell if your goal mm-hmm. is maximal strength. So in that sense, there is some limitations, but what I will say in large part for most people's goals, it will be able to support them. And also because of the way the program is phased, most you know, most programs out there, whether it's for, let's just say a specific sport, most sports do not phase their training. So most sports operate primarily in a performance phase. And so they don't cycle, they don't do corrective phases, they don't do like kind of taking things back a notch. And so even if someone after they went through it, not only would they learn a tremendous amount of skills that after going through it at least one time, it's designed to be gone through multiple times. 
But even mm-hmm. if you go through it one time, you will learn a lot of the movements through the through the process that you can apply to more sports specific objectives. Because, for example, you know, learning how to do a kettlebell swing based off of then once you learn the skill, then based off of the specific goal or the objective, then you can either load it heavier, you could do more repetitions, time, you could superset it, you could do whatever, and you'll learn all that stuff in there. Uh, but then you can tailor it a little bit more. But one of the unique things is is even if you were, let's say, a cycling athlete, you could still utilize the corrective phase, the on-ramp phase and phase number one, the foundation or the reset phase, however you want to call it. Mm-hmm. You could use that after a big race. You could take between one and three weeks and go through that cycle and then hop right back into your training. So whether you use the entire program in its entirety or the specific goals of each phase, you can utilize it in that way as well. Wow. Yeah, that sounds very cool. I guess it sounds like there's almost endless opportunities in terms of it being modular and and varied. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, like I always tell people is like it was designed probably more than any other program to be gone through multiple times. Like you can go through the program like if you don't skip a beat, like if you don't skip a day, it'll take Mm -hmm. you nine weeks. But because the program modifies. So, for example, if you're super stressed, it's going to basically tell you uh today's a working in day so it's going to push your program forward so it can take nine weeks or it can take 36 weeks and the goal is each time you go through it you can progress in load you can progress in skill level um and also too the most important way to progress in my opinion with this program that's designed primarily like for the most part around longevity is to truly take better and better and better care of yourself every single time you go through it, through those questionnaires. Mm-hmm. And because the better care you take of yourself, the more volume you'll be able to do, the more consistent you'll be. And when I look at my own journey, like when people see me doing certain things today, you know, uh, what what maybe they realize or maybe they don't realize, I think anyone who's been involved in, in strength and conditioning or in any sport for a long amount of time and reached a specific level or dedicated themselves to any pursuit know that skill development specifically does not happen overnight or anything great Mm -hmm. doesn't happen overnight. And so the way I eat, the way I care for myself, the way I train, the way I coach, you know, this has been a lifetime of of pursuit. And so Mm -hmm. each time you do the program, the goal is to truly take better care of yourself, to sleep better, to eat better, to train better, to be more mindful. So it's really something that grows with you. Um, And, and it's, it's, again, it's just something that, that it, it just, to, to, to contribute this type of program to the health, the wellness, and just the world is something mm-hmm. that's, that's given me so much fulfillment because, you know, I didn't, you know, maybe parts of me for sure created it for me. I wanted to create something that I was proud of and that, that was reflective of my life and my journey. But I tell you what, just in the two beta programs, I mean, uh, conservatively, conservatively, I've got almost 90 different written story testimonials of how it's transformed people's lives. And that, is what really, really is like, gives me the nourishment to keep doing this. So Mm -hmm. people's results and how it's improved, not just their kettlebells, but far beyond that. That's Mm -hmm. what, that's why I do what I do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's like the ultimate for sure. To have somebody tell you that their, their life is better and they're enjoying it more holistically because of, you know, what they've learned from you. That's pretty powerful. Um, you know, this, on the same topic, but, you know, there's a million programs out in the world today. And um, 
how do you sort of grapple with the the marketing side of it and getting that sort of thing out there? Because you can make an incredible product, but it's almost as hard to get it into people's awareness and in front of them and inspire them to sign up and, and give it a shot. You know, I wonder how you sort of approach that that piece of the the whole project too. That's it's that's a fascinating question. So, like, one thing that I really did differently with this program compared to my last program, which is complementary to this one. That one's called Mastering the Kettlebell, and Mastering the Kettlebell is much more of like it's the equivalent of about two to three certifications of information and knowledge on how to coach and stuff like that. So, this is more of like a guided workout and training experience. Mastering the kettlebell is more of like the most all-encompassing resource if you want to learn and teach kettlebells. And the big difference from a from a marketing perspective was mastering the kettlebell, you know, I really just sat down and that one took 13 months to develop. I basically was like, what do I wish I had as a coach? You know, mm-hmm. and I wanted to give everything to it. I didn't really pull my audience. I didn't really do any market research. I just, you know, having been a teacher for X amount of years, Uh, I was like, this is what people need to know. Now, I'm just learning, to be honest, how to sell that program now. The difference between that and mastering the kettlebell, to give you an idea, you know, master, I'm sorry, uh, kettlebell lifestyle, which is the current program we've been talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. that program in, in these two beta releases, you know, we have almost 200 students from 20 countries in the world with zero paid advertising, zero. Mm -hmm. And the biggest difference, honestly, was the market research, which is a pretty deep topic. And so, you know, I, I've, I was fortunate enough to, to this year was was a year that I was going to invest a lot more into the business development of my stuff because I realized that no matter how good my skills are, unless I understand marketing and business at a deeper level, there's no way I'm going to be able to help and touch as many people as I want. And so when I looked at things like my bookshelf, I realized that 98%, 99%, 99.999% of my books all had to do with training, rehabilitation, um, mindfulness, which is beautiful, but I had no books on business. And Mm -hmm. so this year was a year that I've really, really committed to that. And so, you know, I hopped in a program. I, I, I mean, I joined a few mastermind groups. One is the strong coach. Um, you know, I, I work with a guy named Anthony trucks. I, hopped in a program with called that teach to scale, which is all about building ethical teachers, um, especially through online education. A guy named Joe Maria runs that. And I've really learned a tremendous amount. And so I spent, one of the things that I've realized is on this program, you know, kind of like what you said, the marketing is, is the, the most pivotal thing. And so I'm probably spending as much as I've said, I've spent almost 10 months on the content you know, I, I've honestly spent 75 more percent on understanding who I was speaking to. So via things like there's so many different things that you can do, but, you know, um, looking through specific forums and, you know, understanding your avatar to doing uh, top, like certain analysis you can do to even mm-hmm. um, pooling your audiences in different ways and surveys and that sort of stuff and understanding the language of who you're really targeting uh, that's been the the biggest difference because my dream for this kettlebell lifestyle program was to truly create a program that people wanted and needed and not just something that they needed, but didn't know that they wanted. So I would say the biggest thing was before I even started creating the program was performing a lot, lot almost a month's worth of three, three weeks to a month of dedicated market research 
And then mm-hmm. from there, that guided the process. Because what people, basically, what I found was people want, from me at least, people really, really, really wanted a structured kettlebell workout slash training program with a longevity focus, whether they use those words specifically or they use mm-hmm. words that kind of embody the essence of that. And then from there with that knowledge, then I went into the meditation process a lot of it and said, okay, what does that look like for me? What has my life been like in that regard? What, what, how do I train my clients? Because it's truly the closest program that I could say that to working with me one-on-one, but it all came Mm -hmm. back to what did people really, really want? And then I I went from there. Yeah. Well, that's cool. It sounds like a interesting way to approach it for sure. Cause I think it's, it's probably a lot more natural to just be like, you know, make what you think people want. Exactly. To really understand, you know, what it is that people are looking for and, and also how to frame it and put it in a context in a way that inspires them to to make it a part of their life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. So we can look forward to that coming out and it'll probably come out uh, maybe a week or two after this episode might come out, I'm going to guess. So that'll be exciting to look for. So you said it's called Kettlebell Lifestyle? Yeah, kettlebell lifestyle. If people go right now, I think I've just got uh, like a wait list up right now. And if they just go to kettlebelllifestyle.com, they will uh, be able to get notified as soon as that thing drops. Um, and and then we'll, we'll definitely do for the people who you notify, you'll get a little, most likely a little discount or we'll do something special uh, if people get on that wait list for sure. Great. That sounds awesome. Well, I feel like that's a great place to leave it for for the chat today, but it's been, you know, I really appreciate you sharing and um, and the time and everything. I'm really glad that we got to connect. Likewise, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on it. It's, this has been a very, very fun and, uh, and, uh, easy flow conversation for me. So it's been, (laughs) it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. And I'm definitely going to hit you up next time I'm in the Bay area for a float too. Yeah, 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 for sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much. You're, You're super welcome. Have a, have a great day, brother. Peace. You too. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Whether you listen to it on Spotify, Apple, or through our website, it would be great to hear your feedback and thoughts. If you're able to leave a review, it'll really help us share the message and share the podcast with more people. Thank you.